Hello and welcome to another episode of iLoop. My guest today is Kuljeet Semi. Kuljeet is an award-winning chrysalis effect practitioner who specializes in resolving chronic pain, anxiety, and trauma. Kuljeet set up her business, Center Balance, several years ago on the back of her own very personal experience of overcoming physical pain, chronic fatigue, and trauma. In this episode, Kulji talks about the trigger that led her to look into herself and explore things that she had suppressed for many, many years and gently returning herself back to health. At the end of the conversation, I will be posting my key takeaway from Kulji's story and I really invite you to do the same for yourself because these stories are really there to help us see things in our own lives that perhaps we've not recognized or we've simply not noticed. I love this conversation with Kuljeet and it was really hard to edit it down to just over 40 minutes. If you want to find out more about what she does and if she can help you, then please look in the show notes for details on how to get in touch with her. In the meantime, enjoy the conversation. Okay, so there were a few turning points, but the major one was when I became really ill. Um, It was really unusual for me because I'd been the uh, healthiest one out of all my family, really, even down to colds and things like that. And it was in my early 40s when um, my health started just deteriorating and I had no idea why. Um, I had bouts of tiredness, unusual tiredness, not just rest and you're okay, um, but just feeling really low, low energy, um, symptoms in different parts of my body, pains, burning symptoms, aches, um, and they just increased and increased. And for the first year or two, I um, just tried to cope pushed through, um, adapted really well, (laughs) did things a bit differently, started to rest when I needed to, um, carried on doing everything I was doing really, but that pushed my body too far. Um, And eventually, um, in 2010, I was diagnosed with um, chronic fatigue, severe fibromyalgia, and arthritis in my hands and my feet. So, um, They say there's no cure for it, um, and it's um, pain pathway problems, so pain perception. So basically, you can get pain all over your body, um, and for me, even my clothes hurt. So my hair would hurt, my teeth would hurt, um, and it's just something that they tell you to learn to manage the pain. So it can be quite severe and it leads to all other sorts of symptoms like insomnia, um, brain fog, um, you can get burning symptoms, it can feel like sharp searing pain, it can feel like it's in your bones. Um, So there's all different sensations of pain. I remember having pain in my feet, pins and needles pain though, um, that, that hurt. Um, so pins and needles to the next level and that stayed there for three months and I had no idea so you you were diagnosed with that alongside chronic fatigue and arthritis and 
what did you do when when that sort of slightly devastating diagnosis was handed to you? Um, I I was lost to be honest. I was completely lost. I mean, I were, had been an optometrist for twenty years, so. I was kind of medically trained, like this is a condition, so and then this is the treatment. Um, but when I was told there's no cure, there's no treatment, um, but we can give you medication to manage all the symptoms, um, I literally had tremors, slurred speech sometimes, blurred vision. Um, so there was a whole host of medication that I needed to take. And I was desperate, so I took it. But the side effects just were frightening for me um, and made me feel worse. So I literally stopped that in a week. Um, then I was left to my own devices. So I literally cried, I think, for three days non-stop because I didn't know what to do. I didn't know um, where to find help. Um, I didn't know what help I did need, but because every time I went to the doctors, all my tests were normal. They, you know, I should have been in perfect health, yet here I was in pain, um, couldn't sit, couldn't stand, couldn't even lie down for a few minutes without pain. And then I couldn't walk because the arthritis got worse and I got neuromas on my feet. So um, literally I was stopped from doing anything at all. Um, had to stop work, lost my career. And I had to grieve. I think I was grieving. Um, I couldn't be mum to my kids like I used to be, couldn't work, um, couldn't be the wife I was, couldn't take care of my house, my home, or even myself. So I was very lost. And that was um, a very scary time, actually. Mm. Um, but then I kind of had a thought that you know, there must be a reason why my body's doing this. Mm. Um, and even though I was told there was no cure and they didn't know why it was happening, I somewhere deep down knew that there was a reason for it. So that's what I decided, that I had to find what the cause was because then there would be something I could do about it. So my positive, after all the crying, my positivity kicked in. Um, and I got curious. I was like, well, what could it be? Um, if nothing's showing physically on the tests and all the investigations I had, there must have been something else I was missing. And I started to look at what I could do for myself to help myself because you can imagine at this time, um, my stress levels were up here. Um, you know, just every day was a struggle. For me, it was the nights were the worst, but it was like going through the dark night of the soul every day because I knew I was going to be in pain. There was no let up. Um, but that that thought that there is a, a reason and if I can find the reason, I can help myself. So I started just to look um, and I started to meditate. Mm. Um, I started to um, learn about breathing and what I could do for myself. And the biggest thing that had huge impact was I started gratitude practice. Um, and when I did my gratitude practice and I started feeling a bit different, I just thought I need to do this more <laughs> because this feels a bit better than where I am. Meditation, it was a struggle. 
I was used to being on the go, being superwoman, trying to do everything for everyone, just taking care of everyone, as I think so many of us do. And um, I, it was hard to rest. It felt like I'm doing something wrong, I'm lazy, I shouldn't be. Um, and it was really hard for me to just not do something, like to switch off. So I struggled with it for about three months, but I knew it was good for me, so I was gonna stick with it. And one day I just thought, well, if nothing happens, at least I've just rested. And when I let go of the attachment of what meditation should be, like I should be shutting off my mind, all these thoughts shouldn't be there, I should be quiet, it kind of became a lot easier. Um, it's that point where you kind of zone out, the world fades away and you're in your own zone. So it could be music, it could be art, it could be dance. Um, so they were my starting points. Yeah. And what started to come up was really surprising. I started to connect to my body and instead of going, oh God, I'm feeling this pain and it's awful and it's horrible and I hate it. I started to kind of think, okay, I'm just going to feel it and see what it's like. Um, really connect to it and um, almost asking it in my meditations, what are you trying to tell me? Why are you there? What's the reason? Um, and all sorts of things started coming up. Um, memories of um, pain, um, of emotional pain, um, of trauma, of overwhelming experiences when I was lost or felt alone. Um, and I started to um, be able to be with those experiences and uh, be okay through them. And it made a huge difference. So these experiences came up I would in some way resolve them. It was almost as if I knew what to do. I was felt quite safe with it. Most people um, aren't safe to deal with uh, traumatic experiences because they can literally re-traumatize themselves. Mm -hmm. You can literally transport yourself back to where you are. Um, and that's why people have flashbacks and PTSD. I started studying researching pain. Um, it fascinated me and what I learned was that the brain processes pain, um, physical pain, in the same way with the same pathways and neurons and brain areas that it does emotional pain. So as a child I didn't know what to do with all these painful, overwhelming emotions. No one taught me. I never saw it around me. Um, this is why I think we get lost with it. Mm -hmm. And they were all suppressed and buried inside. Mm -hmm. And at some point, you reach your tipping point. Something might happen. A stress might happen. You might have a virus or an illness or um, an accident or a huge stress with a relationship. And that tipping point opens up. And what I realized was all the pain I'd suppressed was now being expressed in my body. Anyone who's suffering any pain, let alone the, the intensity and the breadth of pain that you are experiencing, that is hard to even quieten your mind. 
to yeah. you know to to just just go within and to do all the things you did so I, I think my question to you is that combined obviously with the fact that you talked about you know sometimes it's uh maybe dangerous for someone to do that especially if they've been through a really traumatic experience so someone who's listening is maybe going through a similar you know ailment um how should they determine whether it is safe for them to try and heal themselves and what would be the right approach for someone who's listening and thinking yeah I'm, I'm suffering the first thing I think we all need to do is stop and have some reflection time slowing down for most people is very hard and what these conditions do is they slow you down and they stop you because otherwise you can't actually get that connection um, so I think stopping in your day for a few minutes and just being, not doing anything, and just practice that as your first step. Yeah. And while you're doing that, the simplest thing that we always have is our breath. And if you can focus on your breath, I often say to people, just take the energy from your mind down into your heart and just imagine your heart's breathing. And focus on that as you just stop and slow down. And that really is one of the key first steps because that's where you gain awareness of what really is happening for you. Yeah. And Kuljit, you mentioned, you know, you are you are you realize you were somebody who was um always putting yourself maybe at the bottom of the list of priorities, you were caring for everyone else, taking responsibilities that maybe didn't even belong to you, but you were just there for everyone else. And your your kind of journey to discovering that you needed to put yourself first, at least some of the time, how was that for you? And how did your family and your immediate circle of people who had got used to being a certain way, how did they respond to this change in you? Um, well, that's a really brilliant question, right? That's a really great one because... Um, it was hard. You know, when you've never done something and you're being different and you realize that it's really important to you, what I kept at, at the top of my mind was my children. That's what helped me. Even though I had to prioritize myself now, I knew that I wanted to be there for them. And because my illness was so scary, the fears of what you're going to be like in the future um, is horrendous. I mean, I envisage being a, in a wheelchair and um, what if it was genetic, you know, all these things that I'd read in forums that kind of go around in your mind. I knew how important it was for me to do it. So I would, when my children were quite small, because they were four and a half um, 10 and a half and 11 and a half um I would close the door I explained to everyone mummy needs her rest I'm going to meditate and you only disturb me for emergency so I just told them and I closed the door and interestingly communicating that to them was really um interesting I don't think it was something I would have done before if I hadn't had to you know um and they didn't disturb me but what I found over time was um, that they started to pick up some slack without me telling them I mean I really noticed it not so much in my children but in my husband um, I didn't I didn't say anything to him I didn't 
I was just being different. And what I noticed was that he started doing things like washing up or um, things that I would normally say, oh, you know, nag him to do. Um, and he would do automatically. So the change in me rippled out to them. And I think it was really difficult for them initially because, you know, none of them knew what was going on. My children didn't understand why I couldn't do what I did before. It, it was a process of really saying, no, I can't do this and being really clear with that. So I did have to be right at the center of my own healing. And um, however hard it was for me, what got me through was that if I do this, I can be the mum I want and I, I'm doing it for them because if I'm healthy, if I'm well and if I'm happy, then everyone around me is happy. And I really got to see that because I asked them one day, um, you know, I was feeling so much different. I mean, I didn't know it was possible. I had never felt safe in my body, really, not even safe in the world. And I started to feel happiness, but not happiness because someone did something or said something. I just felt happy inside and I'd never felt that ever before. Um, and I kind of had this peace. So one day I kind of said to my children and my husband, I said, have you noticed any difference in me? <laughs> you know, has anyone noticed anything? Because I was feeling it. And they all said, um, in their own words, they all said, well, you seem much more free and much happier. Yeah, I love that so much. And I think I've come to understand that, you know, one of the greatest gifts that parents can give their children is to be happy. And I guess my, I, I want to just go back, if I may, to what you said earlier about, you know, you realizing that some of this pain was coming from emotional pain that you had suppressed. People often think that when we talk about emotional trauma, it's like, it's like horrible stuff, like, you know, yeah. being beaten up or being abused in some way. But often it's not that, it's the smaller microaggressions. It's actually sometimes even parents not realizing, you know, they're, they're doing the best thing for their child, they think. I'm, I'm wondering if you'd be happy to share a little bit about what sort of pain you are talking about when you say. Yeah, absolutely. Um, lots of different types of pain, but you're right. Um, uh, little traumas where, um, my mum was always busy. She couldn't spend time. She was busy looking after everyone, working, family. And my parents were working class, so they both had to um, earn money. And, um, you know, what I missed was a connection and time with her. Um, she was taking care of us, and I knew she loved us, but there was something missing for me. It was something I needed, you know time to sit and talk there was no communication um things weren't expressed it felt like there were a lot of hidden things um, my parents didn't really communicate with us so whatever we saw heard we made up our own stories and conclusions and we felt it you feel it in the atmosphere as children you sense it and take it all on if something's not right you kind of know, don't you? But then you don't know what it is, so it's quite confusing. So there was lots of... And again, my dad was really busy as well. One of the things that was really um, difficult, that really felt painful to me as a child, was being kind of a middle child. Um, 
I always felt left out. Mm. I just felt, um, you know, my older two, my brother and sister, the older ones, you know, they would be with mum doing stuff. They would be given instructions, attention, um, often that they didn't want. <laughs> but for me, it was like, oh, and my younger sister, who was about 14 months younger, um, she was the baby, so she got the cuddles and the attention. And I just used to wish, oh, I wish dad looked at me like that or picked me up like that. And that was quite traumatic for me, just being the invisible one. So I learned that if I worked really hard and I did things that the others didn't want to do, I got some attention, I got some approval. And that was a habit that I carried on, looking for approval, seeking validation, um, started to believe about myself that oh they don't love me as much as they love my younger sister or you know um it's always my fault uh, you know if someone gets told off and you get the blame and it was like oh, it's my fault I've done something wrong and I used to really take that in and keep it inside um we never really talked about any of those things or showed our feelings so mum and dad didn't show their feelings so I learned not to show my feelings. So um, I got so good at it that, um, you know, even if I physically fell and was bleeding, I was constantly falling in my life. And I know why, <laughs> because I was constantly scared. So my feet would trip me up. But I would just ignore it. To me, it was nothing. Why were you constantly scared? Um, there was a lot of violence growing up. Um, let's say my dad ran the house with an iron hand um, so if you did speak out of line or if you didn't show um, total respect or if you said something you wanted when they didn't want you to do that um, you know then it was a tough punishment it was painful and um, there were a few times where my older brother and sister um, really got beaten and I could hear the screams so that was one of the bigger traumas. Um, so I kind of associated with being wrong as being dangerous. But also there was quite a lot of um, other violence in the extended family, but also outside. So um, some racism had, you know, names called. Um, something that was quite frightening was when um, I was probably 10 or 11 and we lived in a old Victorian house but there was a pub down the road and two or three o'clock in the morning whenever the pubs closed we'd all be asleep and suddenly there'd be people banging on the doors shouting and screaming you know racist remarks that's really frightening um, loud noises so for a long time, I'm, I was really jumpy with loud noises. Um, so they were some of the bigger traumas. Um, but I, I learned that the world is dangerous. There's people who just, you know, don't like us, don't want us, for whatever reason. Um, and as a child, you don't know why. Yeah. And you take it all very personally. It's always about you, especially up to the age of seven, eight years old. Everything that happens around you, we tend to take very personally, as in it's about us. We don't think, 
or parents are going through a lot, they're very stressed. We don't think like that, children don't. So um, yeah, I had lots of beliefs about myself that I'm not worthy, I don't deserve love. Um, you know, at even one point, um, I'm ugly, I'm bad, I'm wrong. So I had all these and a huge one which took me a while to work through was I'm not good enough. Mm. None of us spoke to each other about what happened or how painful it was or um, because we didn't learn it from our parents. They never did. So we never knew there was something we could talk about. It was just like, it's not the done thing. Yeah. Um, so you didn't even hear them communicate with each other, let alone communicate to you and your siblings. Yeah, nothing about feelings, nothing about um, what's going on, you know, we just kept everything to ourselves. Um, it was it was that um, age-old saying, isn't it? Just get on with it. Um, yeah. And we're really resilient as children. Um, we learn, we model our parents. We unconsciously take on the patterns of our parents um, as to this is how it's meant to be, this is how we're supposed to be in the world. And we don't do it consciously, but we're just downloading information, data from everything around us. So um, we just learn to be that way. And so part of your um, recovery was A, recognising that this is what had happened uh, unbeknownst to you. And did you kind of do any of the sort of the inner child work, you know, where you kind of became the the responsible, nurturing parent to your to your inner child? Did, was that part of your recovery as well? That was a huge part of my recovery. That was initially how I um, got through those painful memories that began to come up for me. And when I did, I felt so different. I couldn't believe it that I would then go, oh, I hope the next one comes up now. Because to yeah. me, it was it was like, wow, I didn't know I could feel different. I didn't know, really know how I was feeling. It was just normal for me. Um, but since then, I've learned a lot of easier ways, um, a lot of different ways of actually processing through it much more quickly. Um, it was really, uh, first of all, being okay with going there. And when I had decided I needed to find the root causes, I had literally decided in my head that um, whatever it took, wherever I needed to go, I would go. So um, having done that, I actually went into the memories. But I went in as me now, not as me as a child. And that might be a really odd concept um, for people. But as we said, you know, when you get transported back, it's almost like you're there. You can then be there for yourself. So the journey, the adventure is being there for yourself. When you thought nobody else was there, when you couldn't talk to someone. Um, and it's not that easy because you can associate with the child so you can not be your adult self, you can become the child self, which is why it's really important not to do anything traumatic for yourself in that way. But I was able to do um, some of the easier memories, some of the um, 
less traumatic memories first and that's where I started that's what came up for me first so um, things like um, you know being told off at school or being blamed for something that I didn't do or you know um, not being hugged by dad when my sister was hugged you know things like that so that's where I started and literally it was just um, comforting myself like we would do as an adult to a child and letting that little child express herself if and when she was ready sometimes they're not ready <laughs> so so in that instance you know where you were feeling left out of the affection that your father was showing towards your sister would you you know going back into that memory as you are now would you sort of step in and say, come, I'll hug you? How, how would it work? Just maybe give us a little bit more, um, I suppose, practical example of how you would go and console the younger you that was feeling left out. So the first thing is you're just, you just be there with them. Okay, so um, you're just there, you introduce yourself, you say they often recognise you because they know you. Um, and you just be with them and you tell them it's okay. Yeah. They're okay. And then you let them express if they feel comfortable and you just give them what they need. So if they need a hug, you sit and you hug them. If they want to sit on your lap, you let them sit on your lap. Whatever evolves through the memory. And often they will tell you how they feel. So if they feel left out or unloved or unworthy and you show them that they're not and you tell them that they're not. Yeah. And, and something that was really helpful for me was actually saying, I'm always here for you whenever you need me. Yeah. That was really powerful for me, just um, kind of having this different sense of things and little by little, it makes a difference. I want to ask you, what happens if someone has learned to be really resilient and part of that process has been to kind of archive or almost suppress memories? So for instance, sometimes you, you sense that something has happened in your childhood that makes you feel this way, but you can't quite access those memories. It's like you've put them into storage and you can't find the key to get into that room where you've put them so what would you do with that situation I think it's really important to acknowledge that there's a reason it's been put away because it's not safe for you to go there on your own so the subconscious um, will keep you safe that's why it keeps all this information um, it's all for us actually and only the memories um, that are safe for you will come up for you and they come up when they're ready. Um, so you, often people, when they start this, they just want to go and do a deep dive. But often you can't because, and it's not the safe way to do it, because there'll be things on top of that, layers or experiences on top, which will, uh, which need to be resolved before you can do the deeper layers safely, before you can even access them. It was something, when you've suffered and you've had all these um, beliefs that aren't true and all these um, habits and coping mechanisms that you use all through your life, um, it's 
it's it's hard it's hard and especially what if you don't know why you are the way you are and you just think well this is who I am not wanting people to suffer unnecessarily unnecessarily was a really key factor in um, what I wanted mm. I would have wanted that for me as well so um, and this is what I want for the people I work with so I was always looking for something new so I trained in um, tapping and matrix reimprinting but I knew there was more I knew there was a there was would be something else so um, and it came along and it's called logosynthesis um, and I've just uh, finished my two-year training and just become a practitioner so uh, um, that's great but um, it's really a way where you can um, tap into these things, but you can release them really quickly. Mm. Um, it focuses on looking at everything as energy and information. And when you do that, um, you use the power of words to clear it. And you just activate the person slightly. So there has to be an awareness of something and, and a distress in your body and then you we use three sentences we use the power of words to shift and change that energy and it works very quickly it's very simple much less complex or complicated than um, maybe in a child work um, yeah. and other modalities and um, I've never experienced anything like it so um, for both for myself and for um, people I work with. I want to come back to your story because obviously we talked about how you started to discover these memories and you started to you know make time for yourself so what was what happened next I mean how did you slowly recover from these crippling you know ailments that you had? So first of all to do that emotional work I needed to be in a better place mm. um, I don't think anyone can do it when you're in severe pain and you can't move and you can't walk and you can't sit. So um, luckily, fortunately, I was introduced to phototherapy patches. Now, I couldn't take medication for my symptoms because my body was too sensitive um, and the side effects were too horrendous. But I could do something more natural. So um, I started wearing these little phototherapy patches that helped to calm down my symptoms a little bit. What is phototherapy? I've never heard. So um, these patches um, you put on acupressure points yeah. and what they do, um, they reflect the energy from the body back into the body. Um, if a signal um, is chaotic, so if you've got pain, basically the signals aren't smooth and it tries to smooth out the signal and they go to your cells, that signal goes to your cells. So it uses your own body energy and it changes, modulates the signal to your cell. So um, I wore pain patches, sleep patches, energy patches and stress relieving patches. And um, within three to four weeks, I started to sleep again. So, and that was the biggest thing they did for me. After that, I didn't look back. Um, my hope was already there. I knew um, that if these could work, and they're just little plasters, um, that there was a lot more that I didn't know out there. Um, and I think that's really true for all of us. We only know what we learn. Yes. And yet there's a whole world of information. So 
I started feeling better, I started to sleep, the blurred vision went, I could focus, I could think again, the brain fog went, um, my pain was less so I could cope. Um, and that's when I started thinking, well, right, let's find out what these patches are doing, because I didn't have a clue. Um, <laughs> and so I started looking at all the research and um, that's where energy came. I started looking at quantum physics. I was always a bit scientific and liked to understand things. And it all started to make sense for me. But it just opened up this whole new world that I'd never, ever had any exposure to. Mm. And so now are you completely free of all those painful symptoms? Did, you, did it manage to also alleviate your arthritic symptoms? Absolutely. Um, my neuromas disappeared, my arthritis disappeared. Um, I've not had symptoms now for just over eight years. Um, my lifestyle and pace is very different. Um, I seem to get quite a lot done in a really slow pace. Um, and, you know, I'm really connected to my body now. I'm not always in my head. So um, it's it's a daily practice for me. I love the healing aspect of it, um, because I feel so different. So you you healed yourself and then you realised that there was a real opportunity for you to help others who are also experiencing a similar, you know, challenge. So tell us a bit about that. So I never went back to optometry after that. <laughs> I just knew with every cell in my body that this is something I really wanted to do. It felt like I was born to do it. Um, so I focused on training, um, becoming a wellbeing coach, becoming a specialist practitioner in chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia recovery. I just knew that people were suffering and they didn't need to. And it was because of the lack of knowledge or the lack of information and support around them. Um, and I wanted to be part of um, something that could give people the support they needed because that's what I wanted when I was, you know, back back then when I was ill. Um, and I just wanted people to have a choice and an option not to have to manage and live with their symptoms because that's what we're told. Even now, um, people are told that and it's heartbreaking when it's not necessary. I also continue with my research and my reading because it's just fascinating and I don't think we know our potential as human beings. Um, it's something big for me that I want to discover my potential but um, for everyone I think as I said you know we only know what we learn and when we learn and read more then it can benefit us in our lives and I think now I put my happiness um, at the top of my list for me and my family um, and everyone I work with. It's all about if you're internally happy and at peace and have this inside you, then you deal really well with the outside world. I love that you're talking about, you know, potential and possibility. And, and you know, from your experience, clearly it took a lot of pain for you to discover that. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sort of a huge believer, as I'm sure you are too, that why wait until you experience that pain? Why not look at, you know, things from a point of what's possible for me? And can I be proactive and not wait until something painful 
challenges me. How would you suggest that they start doing some of the work that you did? Um, as I said in the beginning, I think we tend to push these stresses away and just keep going and get busy just in our usual habits that we've learned. Um, and it is that slowing down. If we're constantly busy, you will just, oh, I'll deal with it later and you'll just push it away. And that that time never then comes because then there's something else. There's always a to-do list, isn't there? Once you start to slow down and appreciate it's almost like practicing mindfulness. So um, what I would suggest is in your daily things that you do when you're brushing your teeth, do it mindfully. So be present to how you're holding your toothbrush or if you're brushing fast or pressing hard. It's, it's about attention and focus. And when you slow down, um, you really can gain so much more information. So if they've got, if someone's got a little stress, then just slow down and sit with it. Um, and if that's um, one step too far, just stop and write it out, journal it out. Let yourself process through some of the things that come up for you. Um, because that whole act of slowing down to write it down. You're not doing anything else. Your focus is on that. And I think people are frightened of focusing on stress. Yeah. We're kind of wired to avoid it, aren't we? I always say that if we don't look at it, it builds up and we take it with us. So we take it everywhere we go. We don't escape it. So you haven't denied it. You've acknowledged it's there. And you've gone, well, I'll deal with it in this way. So my final question, Guljeet, is what is your definition of a fulfilled life? Oh, my fulfilled life is actually being happy, continuing um, my own healing journey, because there's still more to do. I think it's probably a lifetime adventure, um, which I quite relish. I quite relish that um, and look forward to that. But actually... For me, it's really um, simplicity and knowing what's important for me, valuing that in my life um, and doing things that bring me joy, love and peace, um, whether it's for myself, whether it's for my family and whether it's for others in the world. Um, that for me is a fulfilling life. That is so beautiful. And I think what you are such a great example of is that by doing that, you know, some people think, oh, that's very selfish, but actually it's not. You know, it's like that oxygen mask analogy on a plane, you know. You can't help others until you yourself are completely well and, you know, in a place of you know, feeling joyful and, and purposeful. Yeah. Could you thank you so much for coming and joining me today and for sharing your story, you know, and you look amazing and I wish you every success in your continued journey of self-healing and also helping others. Oh, thank you so That was a fascinating conversation with Kuljeet. My key takeaway from her story is that it is possible for every one of us to heal ourselves simply by slowing down, becoming more mindful, paying attention to the life we live, to our body, to our emotions, and giving ourselves an opportunity to really become connected with who we are. What's been your key takeaway? Do let me know, I'd like to hear. And do come back again for my next episode.
Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, why not send the link to someone you know? You can also leave us a review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. And if you'd like to be a guest on my podcast, send me an email on info at rohini-rator.co.uk. The music for this podcast was created by Mike Pearl. If you're looking for original music for your audio or video content, you can get in touch with him on mp969696 at hotmail.com.